Barbarians podcast. I know it has been a while. I have been knocked off track by my track season and a strange injury to my wife while she was running a 5K race has made things pretty busy around here. But my wife is getting better and my state meet here in Ohio is tomorrow, so the season is quickly winding down. I'll be back on track to our bi-monthly schedule here very soon, so expect two episodes a month again starting in June. All right, so let's get to episode 24, entitled Invading Italy, Part 2. Last episode, we looked at the Visigoths' invasion of Italy in late 401 CE and their subsequent defeat and retreat back out of Italy. This week, we'll be introduced to a new reek and another invasion of Italy by Goths. We left off with Alaric and the Visigoths tucking tail and leaving Italy after being defeated by Stilicho and the Romans twice. One of the lasting legacies of this invasion in the early 400s is the movement of the imperial capital of the Western Roman Empire to Ravenna, which, the more easily defensible city, will remain the home of the emperors of Rome until traditionally held time of the fall of the Western Empire in 476 CE. Now, the Visigoths are in Illyricum, but probably in the newly renamed portion called Pannonia II, which we are not sure the specifics of the Visigoth settlement during this time period, but it was probable that they stayed in a portion of the empire controlled by the West because they would have most likely been attacked by the Eastern Empire's Magister Militum and Tervingai Goth Fravada if they had entered into the Eastern Territory. Additionally, it must be true that an agreement providing an anonia or a regular food supply must have been made to the Goths because there's no record of their plundering through the countryside at this time. Hostages may have been exchanged at this time as well, as we see hostages suddenly appear in sources years later, and this is the only time period that makes sense for this exchange to take place. Sources state that Alaric was given a small provincial title in this new agreement, but there is no consensus amongst the sources. What we do know is that the Visigoths are quiet in their new homes from 403 to 408 CE, but that does not mean that there would not be any other Goths causing problems for the Romans. Now, throughout the 4th century, the Roman Empire changed in many substantial ways. The area of change that relates to our narrative is the situation around the borders. The Roman borders, for a multitude of reasons that are interesting but not necessarily the key to our story for us, have changed considerably. Anne Hughes goes into how and why they've changed uh, with quite a bit of depth in his book Stilicho, The Vandal Who Saved Rome. Mary Beard and her writings on Rome, amongst many others, also go into quite depth with why this has changed. But basically, for our story, the way the borders were secured had changed substantially throughout the 3rd and the 4th century CE. Border security was weakened in favor of dealing with crises in the empire that were both domestic and foreign. So with that in mind, in 405, a man named Radagaisus led a large contingent of Goths from the north into Roman lands through the increasingly weakened borders. His origin story is not clear, but it is most likely that he is from the lands north of the Danube that were controlled by the Huns. We think that he is probably a Gruthungi, which, as you recall, 
resided primarily in southern Ukraine, or what we would today say southern Ukraine, but are now controlled by the Huns at this time period of the early 400s. But again, we think that he was a Gruthungai, and he ruled over a mixture of his own brethren, the Tervingai Goths, some Alans, and some other groups of barbarians, quote-unquote, from north of the Danube. The hypothesis for why Radagaisus invaded Roman lands in 405 is that the Hunnic king Ulden had grown so powerful that either Radagaisus no longer could resist the Hun, or that life under the Huns became unbearable. It is likely that he was trying to do what Alaric had done by forcing the Romans to give him land and a title. Either way, we have a large group. Zosimus claims that there are 400,000 Goths. We get 200,000 by Erosius. I'm taking a guess at some of these names. And from some other sources, we have similar numbers as well. Modern estimates claim probably around 20,000 or so warriors and a total of 100,000 people on the move into lands controlled by Rome. The invading group came through Raetia, north of Italy, and entered the peninsula through the Brenner Pass, which is on the modern Italian and Austrian border today. I'll put some maps up on Facebook page uh, to help us here. The invasion began in the late fall of 405, and this would be an important factor in the outcome of the events. As we have seen in other invasions involving Alaric and other large groups of Goths, the stress of having to feed so many warriors and camp followers is so great that Radagaisus will make the same decision as others before him. He will split his people to plunder and ravage the countryside in order to feed themselves and to survive. This will, ironically, lead to their destruction. Stilicho had a much smaller force held up in Ticinium, which is modern-day Pavia, just south of Milan, while the Goths ravaged northern Italy during the winter months. He would stay encamped as he would call for more troops from the Rhine River frontier, recruit new troops from Italy, and call on his Federati, Hun, and Alan allies to meet him in northern Italy to take on this new threat. As winter weather broke, Stilicho tried to muster more troops to confront the threat and the Goths as they moved south to threaten new lands and cities. The Goths had split themselves into three columns, we'll say, and Radagaisus took control of the largest portion and his group of Goths moved to the city of Florentia, which of course is modern-day Florence, and laid siege to that city. Now at this point, the Goths had invaded in late 405, and it is now early summer when Radagaisus and his column are laying siege to modern-day Florence. And the Romans are incredibly terrified by this invasion, even more so than Alaric's invasion in 401, which was something that we talked about in last episode, how terrified and apocalyptic uh, the Italians had gotten about the earlier Goth raid. The reason that this Gothic raid and this Gothic invasion is more terrifying to the Romans is that the last one under Alaric were Christians, albeit Arians, but at least Christians. Radagaisus was reportedly a committed pagan, and a pagan of the old-school Gothic variety. Even the pagan Romans had a problem with his belief system. We also have some mention that Radagaisus claimed that he was going to take Rome and make sacrifices 
sacrificing Christians to the pagan gods in various buildings in Rome. So we get many apocalyptic prophecies thrown around by both Roman Christians and Roman pagans during this Gothic incursion. Again, this time, though, the stakes were much higher for the Romans, just like they are always much higher anytime someone's talking about the end of days. We've heard this end of day story before. We will talk about it again. The Romans are going to continue to think the world is falling apart. Meanwhile, the other two columns are moving south to plunder, loot, and feed itself as well. The idea is that the three groups would be far enough away that they could feed themselves and avoid famines, but would be close enough to come together and fight if needed. This tactic had been employed a number of times in our story already, including the lead-up to Adrianople, if you remember back in our Adrianople series. Unfortunately for Agas, the train and the abilities of Stilicho and his Romans would prevent the three groups from combining, leading to the downfall of Radagaisus and his followers. By the beginning of the summer, Stilicho had gotten his reinforcements. They were collected in Pavia and headed south to attack the main force of Goths, encircling Florentia. As the siege begins to starve the city, Stilicho is able to attack the Goths and surprise them completely, apparently. The invaders are forced to retreat to nearby Fasulia, or modern-day Fazoli, but were able to secure a strong enough high ground to set up a defense. Now the Goths are besieged by the Romans and their allies, which again included Olden's Huns and Saurus the Goths' forces as well. If you remember back in the last invasion of Goths, under Alaric, Saurus the Goth defected from the Visigoths to the Romans, essentially betraying his brethren because of a power dispute with his family and Alaric's. And we will come back to Saurus and his family later on in our story. The poorly prepared defenses of the Goths were strong, but they did not have the time in their retreat to procure the amount of food and supplies they would need for a long siege. Radagaisus had sent out messengers to the two other invading groups, but with no luck. It is after a few days that we see an attempt by Radagaisus, and a number of his sons and other followers try to break out of the encirclement to leap up with the remaining groups of Goths. And it is during this attempt that the Romans capture the Reek and the members of his party. The executions would be quickly ordered by Stilicho and carried out. The remaining Goths and Fazoli, without their leaders, realize that help is not coming, and they have no choice but to surrender. The subsequent execution of the Gothic leader and then the s surrender of his main column of warriors on August 23rd, 406 CE, would effectively end the invasion. Stilicho and his forces then captured the two other offending groups of Goths, many without a fight. So many Goths are captured and sold into slavery that the slave market collapsed under the weight of the introduction of so many captives into the economic system. The Goths that surrendered would include some 12,000 or so soldiers that would be brought into the Roman military. Their families would also be allowed to settle in the empire, which is basically what they wanted all along a safe place, a piece of land inside the Roman Empire, away from the Huns. It is clear, though, 
that many of the Goths got a different ending to the story. Many did not reach the safety of the Roman ranks, settling for the much less secure life of a slave in Roman territory. It seems to be that many of the group chose this fate over life before under the Huns, though, which says a lot about the situation that they were in to choose the fate of a slave in Rome. So, we have the defeat of another invasion of Goths in Italy, the second in less than five years. The Romans earned an overwhelming victory and were able to bolster their military with new recruits from the invaders. The early success, though, of the invasion had scared many of Roman, and with good reason. Many have speculated that if Alaric would have gotten his people involved with Radagaisus' efforts, they could have been victorious. Historians have hypothesized over the years why Alaric never connected with his fellow Goths. The prevailing thought is that Alaric and his group were still reeling from their defeat during the invasion of 401. They were soundly defeated and were not in a position to take up arms against the Romans at this point. Additionally, Radagaisus crossed into Roman territory through Raetia, far from the base of Alaric and Pannonia or Illyricum, which would make linking up even more difficult at this time. Regardless of the reason, the fact is that Alaric sat tight and Radagaisus was soundly defeated. But this would not be the last of the invasions of the barbarians. Soon, barbarians would take advantage of the soft defenses of the Roman Empire, laying the path for the ultimate humiliation of the empire, the sack of Rome. The series of events that will lead to the sack of Rome will be kick-started by another invasion of the Roman Empire by another group of barbarians, the Vandals. The Vandals, who had raided into Raetia in the winter of 401-402, which complicated Stilicho's response to Alaric's then-invasion of Italy, would evade again in 406. In late 406, the Vandals, Suvi, another Eastern Germanic group, and the Iranian Alans were moving west along the Danube until they encountered the Franks. The latter were tasked with defending the eastern border of Gaul after the Romans had withdrawn their troops to fight more pressing concerns in the empire. This is part of the restructuring of the border security mentioned earlier in this episode. The Franks had kept the border quiet for decades at this point, in exchange for lands inside the empire and a good level of autonomy over their own people. The combined Vandals, Suve, and Alans would meet the Franks in battle at Mainz and would defeat them. This opened the way for the barbarians to cross the frozen Rhine River and enter Gaul on December 31st, 406 CE. This will direct Stilicho's attention to Gaul and defend it against new threats that will lead to a cascading effect of new problems for the Empire. The Vandals and the Franks and their interaction in this part of our narrative will be discussed later in future seasons of the podcast, but the important role they present to us now is they start this chain reaction that will eventually lead to Alaric and his next invasion with his Visigoths into Italy and ultimately end with the sack of Rome. The collapse of the Frankish defense on the Rhine border region will allow the new invasion by the Vandals to come into the poorly defended province of Gaul. This new group will never leave the territory of Rome again and will be one of several groups of barbarians to begin to carve kingdoms of their own out of the empire. But first, we will see Alaric finally move his people again and advance into Italy 
for the last time, which is where we'll pick up with our story next time. So, some of the resources that I use for this week's episode include The Visigothic Invasion of Italy in 401 by William Bayliss, Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd Century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, Historia Nova by Zosimus, The Goths by Herwig Wolfram, Stilico, The Vandal Who Saved Rome by Anne Hughes, which has done most of the heavy lifting for this episode, actually, Generalissimo's of the Western Empire by John O'Flynn did a decent amount of lifting for this episode as well. If you like the show, please give a review on Podbean, iTunes, or the platform of your choice. Those reviews, as many of you already know, have a real impact on how many people and who gets exposed to the podcast. So please take a second and leave us a good review, and that would be much appreciated. Check out the History of the Barbarians Twitter accounts and Facebook page for more information and resources about our barbarians. And a big thank you for listening. I will see you next time.